the American Express Shaping Insights podcast. I was the first French black designer in luxury. And I think even that gave me so much passion to say, I'm the witness of my time. I'm from a melting pot. And so let's make sure that for the next generation, I will bring that vision of fashion. Bauman started in 1945, 77 years of history. We dressed Josephine Baker, Brigitte Bardot, Dalida, Andrea Byrne, so many incredible women. Hello and welcome to the Shaping Insights podcast presented by American Express, where we bring you expert perspectives on the latest trends in the luxury and travel industries. I'm Alexander Fiori, Fashion Features Director of Another Magazine and Men's Critic of the Financial Times, and I'll be your host for this episode. In 2011, when Olivier Rousting was appointed Creative Director of Balmain, no one could have predicted the changes in store for both that house and the industry at large, and the fact that Olivier would be at the forefront of both. Known for his savvy and forward-thinking engagement with social media, as well as for his body-conscious, intricately crafted clothes, Olivier has re-engineered Balmain for Gen Z and shown many other fashion houses the path to follow for resonance with that new generation. Olivier is also a passionate advocate for diversity within the industry, and his outlook has shifted the needle, serving as inspiration to young designers and creatives. Today, Olivier will be offering insights into the future of the fashion and luxury industries and what interesting shifts he is seeing across the landscape. We're absolutely honoured that Olivier has taken time out of his day to speak with us. Welcome, Olivier. Hi, hi, everybody. Hi, Alex. Olivier, it's wonderful to be here with you in Paris. How is everything? Where are you now in your season? Oh my God, Alex, it's just so nice to finally see you. It's been, I feel, ages. And honestly, like, you make me laugh so much. Um, it's all good working on my pre-fall right now. But i um, taking some time with you today because it's just so nice to, to start this good and really great podcast. And nice to be in the same room, as you said. And nice to be after, in the same so, room. After two years, it's very nice to be able to interview you in person again. Yeah, such a... Such feel it feels so, so good and so refreshing. Um, when you were appointed to Balmain, you were twenty-four, and you were the youngest creative director at a French fashion house since Yves Saint Laurent went to Dior in nineteen fifty-seven. How important was that? Your youth belonging to a younger generation, and do you feel that that it gave you and continues to give you a different point of view? I think it gave me a strength. I think when you're young and you're you're less scared of like the, you know, like the the codes or to repeat what someone has done before. You have you have maybe more dreams, and when you're when you're a kid, you can put your finger in a fire and you're not scared, right? So it's a bit what happened to me when I started Barman. It was like I was trying to do things that maybe should be scary for the rest of the world, but was not scary for me, you know. And so I think my passion. I think I was even more fearless because of my youth. And I wanted to try many things that maybe people have not done before. And there's one another thing that I love saying about myself is I'm witness of my time. And this is my mission to be the witness of my time and to try to represent the time that we are living and that we are going through with my age and what I can do. Well, there is that idea that it kind of resonated with a younger generation, but that generation is your generation. Yeah, yeah. It's... You know, it's interesting when I started Barman because there's always this obsession in fashion for vintage and for what is the past and to bring always the past in the present. 
And me, I was so frustrated because I started my career, you know, I was 24 and um, I was loving a kind of music. I was loving a kind of culture that maybe fashion didn't appreciate at the time. So sometimes fashion made me ashamed, made me feel ashamed of myself because I was supposed to have the same mood board than others, you know, when even sometimes this mood board doesn't talk to me because maybe it's too far from my generation. But I knew that sometimes I had to follow those codes because that's what the fashion was pretending to acknowledge about what should be fashion, you know. Mm. So it took time. But after a decade of Bauman, I'm really proud to actually like say what I'm really I am, what I really love and not feeling ashamed anymore to just feel free. And this is such a great feeling. I actually wanted to ask after that decade at Balmain, how do you feel perceptions of Balmain have evolved kind of to the wider public? How do you feel kind of the brand positioning of Balmain has developed during that time? Um, I think it took me 10 years to maybe put the brand into a level of more being more global because the beautiful part of Balmain is that it started by being a French Parisian aesthetic. The sad part of Balmain is that because it's a Parisian French aesthetic. And don't get me wrong when I say that, is that sometimes when you have a French Parisian aesthetic, in fashion means that you cannot be too global and sometimes too exclusive and not inclusive. So my role at Balmain was to scream really loudly that we are French, we have a Parisian aesthetic. Paris doesn't mean minimal, doesn't mean a pair of jeans with a, a biker jacket and, you know, and not washing your hair for two days, you know, and call that La Parisienne. No, you can be a Parisienne because you're obsessed with Versailles. You have the Eiffel Tower. Paris is maximal. It's not only minimal, you know. There is a nonchalance, there is an effortless, but there is a strong aesthetic. It we call Paris la ville des lumières, the city of lights. So my goal was to say, this is what I love about France, that kind of maximal, that kind of richness, that kind of flamboyance. Uh, it's still a French aesthetic, but I want to speak to the world. So I would say that after a decade, I made sure that this French aesthetic, it's more international, using my culture, my pop culture, reminding the world that Bauman is a house that has been born in 1945, after the Second War, but still, even if it's a really old house, really connected to what is today. So this is what I feel about Bauman. Bauman is just a paradox house, I think. Well, it's interesting talking about that idea of a, a Parisian house, because I think for a long time, Balmain and a lot of other kind of houses, it was about exporting that Parisianness to different parts of the world. Yeah. But actually, very much what you've done is you've embraced all these different cultures. You know, there's been references to kind of Africa. There have been references. I remember you did a collection based on Mexico, yeah. references to Miami, you know, references to America and bringing those into this melting pot. So it's kind of bringing the world to Paris as opposed to Paris to the world in a lot of what you've been doing. Yeah, so true. And uh, and I'm, I'm really proud of that because for me, the world, it's, you know, there is this word that is so important today, but I think we need to really put a strong meaning into its inclusivity. Mm -hmm. And I love that Paris for me be, brings inclusivity in my collection, in my vision. And, um, and you know, I'm, I'm maybe when you ask me, I'm young and, and how it feels to be so young at, in the house, I will answer to you. I was the first French black designer mm -hmm. in luxury. And, um, and I think even that gave me so much passion to say, again, I'm the witness of my time. So I'm, I'm from a melting pot. And so let's make sure that for the next generation, they, I will bring uh, that vision of fashion, that melting pot that you're talking about right now. Talking of your vision of fashion, I wanted to talk about the anniversary show 
because that was really an event, um, a fashion, a music festival, which reflected one you did in 2019. Yeah. But this was on a much bigger, grander scale. <laughs> um, where did that concept come from? This idea of, of kind of a Balma festival? Uh, it was three, I think it was four years ago. I, I was kind of bored of, I'm sorry to say, just the same faces in my fashion, you know, in my fashion show, because I love the faces that I see, but I was just like, I would love to open the doors to more people, you know? I just feel, I love the people that I've, I'm surrounded with, but I love as well the idea of bringing and open the doors. And I think it happened with my social media as well, because I was seeing so much support from so many people telling me, oh, you're an inspiration for us. Uh, you're guiding us for a new generation. And I was just like, you know, I would never be the one that I am today without having so much love from around the world. So we decided to open the doors to a bigger public. And there's another thing is that the tickets that people bought was for charity, for Red, mm -hmm. for um, that I'm working with Bono since now six years, I think. So I love the idea of mixing fashion with charity and saying that, you know, you're going to buy a ticket, I think it was 15 euros or something, mm -hmm. and making sure that the 6,000 people that will spend that amount of money, that money will go to charity mm -hmm. and to help uh, strong topics of the world today. So it was a mix of inclusivity. It was a mix of thanking as well, because for my 10 years, I wanted to thank all of the love that I received through, the, through my decade. Um, mixing the music, because I love music, as you know, and mm -hmm. has been really inspiring for me, uh, not only as um, an aesthetic or art, but as, as well as a way of communication, because I think music was more inclusive and mm -hmm. more diverse than fashion. So for me, music has been inspiration. So all of that together, I was just like, let's do something different. The thing that I actually really loved about it, and someone commented to me, why are the kids screaming at the models? Because they were, you know, the top models of our day, but, you know, until the end, they weren't kind of supermodels. And I said, well, these are kids that love fashion. They're kids that have, you know, want to come and see a Balmain show. These aren't just random teenagers. These are people that are actually super engaged with what Olivier is doing and with this world that we are super privileged to be part of, which we very rarely kind of acknowledge the sort of privilege that we get to see these things that when I was a teenager and certainly lots of other teenagers, you know, would kill to be able to get to see. And I thought there was something really wonderful about that kind of engagement, that they were cheering the models, that they were excited when Edie Campbell was coming out, you know, yeah. who isn't, you know, she isn't Carla Bruni, but, you know, she kind of is for this, for this generation. Yeah, you're so true. I think if you ask me what I was the most surprised about my show was actually like people screaming because I didn't expect that at all. And even like when you tell me that, it brings me tears in my eyes because, because there was so much love, you know? And, and I think what I wanted to do to these people, to this young generation, it was to give, in a way, my present for them was like seeing Naomi Campbell walking yeah. and Carla Bruni from ADE Campbell, Imana Mam and Natasha, Natalia, you know, like when you, I remember like you, when, when we were young and we were opening a Vogue or magazine, whatever it is, seeing these girls, you were like, this is a dream, you know, we yeah. wish one day to meet them, to see them. And so imagine when you're like 15 or 16 or 20 and you see Nami Campbell walking, you will always have that memory in your, in your mind. So that was my present for the love that people gave me, you know? Yeah. Opening up fashion to a wider audience is something I think that 
strangely, some brands are quite reticent to explore, but it's something that you've done from the very start. I'm thinking of um, you partnering with Rihanna for the spring mm -hmm. 2014 campaign, the kind of partnerships you've had with the Kardashians, dressing them, putting them in your campaign, and also how you showed your 2020 couture collection on TikTok, mm -hmm. which was the first time that platform partnered with a fashion brand. Um, why is that idea of democratizing fashion so important to you? Um, I think I would answer for two reasons. First, because why not? Mm -hmm. Why why is so difficult to think that fashion should be democratized? Already, I think the question is weird yeah. to me because it means that so why fashion should be more inclusive? Why fashion should not stay exclusive? It's such a random question because, yeah, we all know that fashion is luxury. Luxury means expensive. Mm. But it's a different thing that having a price point that might be high because your production, because the quality of your clothes, but there's a different thing that making this dream exclusive, you know? Yeah. And I think that's where I think the question is wrong. I would never imagine... I mean, fashion, I would never imagine fashion interesting if it was not democratized because it means that you're talking to an elite and at the point when you talk to an elite, you make sure that the world is becoming really exclusive. And I don't like that. I know that my price points are high and Bauman is known as a really expensive house for sure. Not everybody can have, unfortunately, access to the price point, but everybody can have access to the dream yeah. of being part of the world. And I hate when... Is what you say at the beginning, fashion, you know, fashion is really sometimes reticent of mm. open the doors. But the question that I would ask to the people that are reticent is why, you know? Yeah. Why? There's something incredibly democratic built into the kind of image making of fashion where it is for other people to look at and dream to become part of that. I know you went through that. I know you were looking at fashion when you were a kid and dreaming about it. And I was as well. And then it's kind of amazing that you can then become part of that. That's the wonderful thing about fashion is that everyone can dream exactly. about it and be moved by it. It's exactly that. Like, we all know that the price points are high, but never forget that you can dream about it. Like, even me, when when I, I did some conference, like about, you know, Bauman, and, and I was democratizing my world with, with students, you know, I didn't, yeah. I was not hiding myself into my office, you know. Yeah. Like the kids were just like, you inspiring me so much and seeing you as a black designer as well. I know that you make me believe that I could be as well where maybe 10 years ago or 20 years ago, uh, you know, they were just like, we would never believe that we could become designer mm -hmm. because maybe your color defines, you know, where you're going to be or yep. what you are going to have to do. You know, so I think it's that's so important to democratize fashion, to bring topics on the table that matters to the world and not to just the 200 people on the front row. Mm -hmm. So that was my first answer was, I think it's important to be inclusive. And I think it's not important. I think it's, um, it's just normal. Yeah. But the second answer will be, fashion is a business. To who are you talking to? And I think opening the doors to a bigger and larger public it's as well a source of inspiring, but as well welcoming them and explaining your aesthetic. And maybe, you know, they're going to be your future customers. Because me, I don't see my customers only who has money in their bank, but I see as well my customers that of the people that today might, might not have money, yeah. but tomorrow they might have. Yeah. Because I always believe that you never know what's happened tomorrow. Yeah. So 
I just feel like, you know, those, those kids that are 15 and might not be able to buy Bauman today, but might be able to buy Bauman tomorrow. Yeah. You want to open the door to them now. Yeah, because I want to make sure that they know that they'll always be welcome mm -hmm. to the brand. I think kind of connected with that, it's also been very interesting the way you have used and continue to use social media, because that's something that fashion was very, very reluctant to engage with at a certain point. And actually at a point when you were engaging with it as a person, perhaps ahead actually of, of Balmar, you were engaging with it as a creative and as a kind of figure before the fashion house you work for engage with it. Yeah. But again, it's that whole thing of being able to communicate with people on different platforms and on platforms that they engage with. Yeah. You know, the demographic of TikTok is incredibly young. <laughs> yeah. You know it's a different audience than the people you're speaking to on Instagram. Yeah. And talking to you, I know it's different than going to, to post a picture on my Instagram, you know, like talking to a generation on TikTok is going to be different than what I'm going to post on Instagram. But I mean, it's, I mean, when you're creative, I mean, you should be so curious, right? Like, I yeah. mean, this is the beauty of being a creative director is that I'm opening books from Monsieur Pierre Barman from 1960, but I'm opening my TikTok and understanding what the future generation needs, you know? Yeah. And this is the beauty of my work is that I don't believe only like this obsession about millennials, Gen Z and whatever, because I think sometimes it feels so fake to me. I think it's, I'm not obsessed by what's going to happen in the future. I'm obsessed of understanding the past to create a present and making sure that I can at the end uh, make a future brighter. Mm -hmm. But um, because I'm just a curious person, yeah, you know, I'm not just like uh, starving for what's going to be new. I'm just curious mm -hmm. to know what's going to be new. Yeah. Can you remember, why did you start on social media? Because you, st as I said, you started very early on. It was it was quite kind of early days. Oh my God, I think it was in 2012 or something. I mean, I, I don't remember, 13. But I remember exactly why I started. Because I felt so frustrated sometimes with interviews because I felt like sometimes I couldn't be myself mm -hmm. and I couldn't talk about topics that are relevant to me. Yeah. Because sometimes, you know, when... I remember 10 years ago, it was really focused on different things. The fashion world, we were never talking about inclusivity. We were never talking about diversity. We were talking about the clothes and the materials and the fabrics, less than my universe around, you know. And I was like, it's nice. I like it. But I don't think I'm here just to talk about the textile I'm using, you know. Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> I mean, and, uh, and at the same time, I wanted to to deliver another positive message on my social media and show that I can sometimes having junk food and still like, you know, creating really expensive clothes. I'm just a human like everybody. Yeah. Don't put me on a piedestal because I'm not that. I don't want to be that. And at the time when I started, there was a lot of burnout, you know. Yeah. There was a lot of designers that maybe uh, had really like strong problems in their, in their lives, you know. Mm -hmm. And I realized that sometimes the fact that you don't share with the world they might see a character more than the real human being. I think I was really scared about it. So mm -hmm. I wanted to kind of say to the world who I am, not pretending to be someone else, to make sure at the end that uh, I will not lose myself. And it, there's something really nice about communicating with, with the world because they show you the love and the support. So one day maybe when, you, when you're, you're a bit sad, you know, you just remember that you're a strong community that loves you. But it's also a two-way communication. It's not just you pumping out a message and having no reaction and hoping it lands and hoping people see it and hoping people enjoy it. You can see people commenting backwards. You can see yeah. people's feedback. The thing that I actually really love about 
social media, and I'm a big kind of advocate. I think a lot of people criticize it and criticize its messaging. I find it incredibly positive and I find it incredibly social. I think it actually opens yeah. up a lot of conversations between different people, creatives, but also, you know, between you and kind of kids, just people that you would never otherwise hear yeah. from. Yeah. And you can have really exciting, engaging conversations with people and also know that people appreciate what you do, which is, it's always nice to have it's kind of validation. Nice. <laughs> it's nice to have that kind of validation for sure. <laughs> Connected with all of this kind of conversation, you were one of the first designers to develop a Snapchat filter. Oh my God, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why did you decide to do that? And also what's next in terms of technology for Balmain? I remember like that's when we came to LA years and years ago with the Snapchat filter because I was like, I knew that filter will become like a new world, you know, like an entire world. And how amazing it's to be with filter because it's like an incredible strong makeup, yeah. you know? So I, I liked it and I knew at the time that that will become like something that we'll all use. I mean, uh, sometimes less, sometimes more, but I think f filter is something that at the time, like I remember I could push... Uh, the barman makeup, uh, where we're pushing some accessories. It was years and years ago. So it's funny sometimes when I see like new brands now, like putting like anything that they have in their merchandising on the, on the filter. And I think it's, it's cute. Um, but you did it first. <laughs> <laughs> I did it first. Um, no, but I like it. I mean, there's one thing that I like is, is when I see that I have done something and some other do, because it just feel like maybe it was relevant. How, how I can imagine the future? You know what? I think we will create incredible like 3D clothes that when you can buy tomorrow and put on your Instagram and feel like you already have a Bauman jacket, even if it's not true. <laughs> no, NFT. NFT. Expansion. NFT expansion is going to be a real relevant future. This is something I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> I know. People have tried to explain NFTs to me a few times. I don't really understand it. But I feel like it's interesting, this whole metaverse. It's the next frontier it's the next kind of yeah it's the next frontier i, th I think it's, it's just gonna be a new kind of wardrobe owning a, a digital wardrobe a digital art that you can place in your system i believe that the nft will become even stronger when you can put your body on it and own digitally a clothes a wardrobe yeah and that's gonna be your new your next if you think about it when you go to a store before, you were yeah. trying a lot of clothes, you know. Now, if you imagine, like, you can go on e-commerce, not trying and getting it, you know, because yeah. you, you just need to explain the size. You make sure that with our new uh, e-commerce retail, like, we make sure that people will not even need to try mm -hmm. and know exactly what's going to be the clothes. Um, before, we were spending so much time for that. Now, people don't want to spend time. Imagine if tomorrow you're just like, I don't want to buy it. I don't want to dress it. But I just, I want to look like that, you know. Yeah. So at the end of the day, you know, it might happen that maybe in 10 years, you might not have the shirt that you're wearing now, but you basically will have on a picture and posting it because you just yeah. think it's cool. Well, also, I think there's that idea that maybe you buy the black jacket, but then you get the NFTs of the the gold, the red, the blue, and then you have this kind of wardrobe that's a virtual wardrobe and you have the one physical thing or something like this. It's 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 a very interesting avenue, I think, and it's it's... Yeah, I can't tell if it's scary or not. That's it is scary. Everything is scary. <laughs> but that's the cool part. What you don't understand should, should be exciting. Yeah, it should be the next thing that you want to, yeah. that you want to investigate. Mm -hmm. Coming back to the physical world, yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit about the importance of kind of celebrity in mm -hmm. the world that you've made at Balmain. Talking about the spring-summer 2022 show, obviously you had supermodels, not least Carla Bruni, mm -hmm. former First Lady of France. Yeah. Um, 
which was an amazing, amazing moment. What do you feel kind of celebrity adds to Balmain? Why do you think people connect to that? Uh, I started a long time ago with celebrities because I think they were inspiring me, uh, their personalities. When when you talk about Rihanna, there were, I would say, three big topics about her that I love. First was her way of communication because she was really clear on what she liked and really clear on on her vision of music and fashion together. So I was really proud to have her as my icon and being part of my campaign. But um, as well, what I liked about her was that she was not a model. Mm -hmm. And so it was interesting for me to show a different kind of beauty uh, that sometimes, you know, at the time it was only uh, models and the shapes and of course all the fights that she fought for. Um, And I think the three things is well because she's my my friend. Mm -hmm. So basically when you say celebrities, like usually it's people that I really, although I know really well, or I'm really inspired by. So it's not just the marketing point of view. So for me, celebrities always bring something to me that is inspiring, not only the way that they dress, but the way that they think, the way that they push and they fight for whatever topic they fight for. I mean, they are really tough. Like if you think about all my celebrities are really strong, revolutionary people. Yeah. So that's why I love them, because they bring a revolution and in, in a conversation on the table. There are also people that wear Balmain. I think it's always, it's never been like, oh, What's she doing in the campaign? There's always been some kind of a connection. It's someone who has been already been drawn to you as well as you being drawn to them, which I think is very nice. It's never felt actually like a marketing exercise. No, It's an exchange. It's a friendship, a friendship with you, a friendship with what you do as a creative. Obviously, you relate into what they do as well. And so it, there's always been this kind of symbiotic relationship with them. It's always felt very kind of true and very honest. Yeah, always true, always honest, like a... I tell you, I would never dress someone I don't like. Mm-hmm. Or I don't, I don't care about the music or the movie. Like, I, I always work with people that I think are relevant to me, to my world, and that I'm obsessed with their aesthetic. Yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit about the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. The pandemic we've been going through has obviously led to a lot of companies reevaluating their business models, a lot of designers really examining what they're doing, the clothes they're creating, how they're creating. How has Balma and yourself, how have you adapted and shifted during this time? What sort of lessons do you feel that you've learned? Mm. No, I learned so many things. I mean, huh. uh, I think the first thing that we learned before going into fashion, like really fashion specific, it's how matters a community, a sense of community. Mm. You know, all what happened around Black Lives Matter. Yes. It happened through uh, during, you know, the pandemic, I remember. And it's, of course, a topic that's been years and years, uh, uh, decades of, of, of history. But I think talking about a fashion point, I think fashion starts to realize um, the importance of community when they couldn't meet each other. Mm-hmm. So basically you start to see important topics outside of fashion becoming so relevant on social media as well. And so people were just like fashion were like, oh my God, it's happening that in the world, you know, and and thank God people opened their eyes. So I think that was interesting to see that when the only way to communicate why social media or TVs, watching TVs, you know, like people start to realize the importance of topics that were outside of fashion and to be loud about the problem of fashion because they were seeing the world is going wrong. So I think it was interesting for me to see that, again, 
when you become more inclusive and you dec democratize fashion, you start to be a voice for generation when there are problems in, in, the, in the world. That was interesting for me to see that fashion start to take some statements yeah. uh, and political statements, yeah. which sometimes I didn't see fashion doing that. And that was as well because there was a pandemic. And so uh, people were more on their social media starting to see that new generation were like really fighting. And, and also fashion that was like, okay, we might need to to start to move on and to 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 think about it. Uh, after I think the pandemic uh, helped us to understand the importance of timelessness and values of, of what you create. Because I can see that sometimes, you know, trends are going too fast mm -hmm. with the pandemic. I think people stood back a bit and start to say, let's spend money for a good reason and not just because, you know, like uh, it's cool. Yeah. So I feel like people now is starting to spend money for something that really feels valuable. Mm -hmm. And this is something really interesting that I can see business wise. Like, yeah like what they buy. And that's why I relaunched my monogram as well, the heritage, because I feel like in a weird way, of course, it's been an obsession of streetwear for so many years, but there's a reality, like people starting to go back to buying really good craftsmanship, really good savoir-faire quality, mm -hmm. because we never know what's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. So they feel like what I'm going to spend now on needs to feel like it will always be there forever. Yeah. So there's a reality on that. Of course, this, all this loungewear and all this kind of like feeling more comfortable is true and not true at the same time. Because when you spend like two years stuck in your house in pyjama, you're still going to buy a pyjama tomorrow because you, you start to get used to be comfortable. Yeah. But I can tell you that you worked so hard as well that you want to go back to your uh, body conscious dress, yeah. feeling like uh, super glamorous because you have been stuck for like two years. So there is an interesting shift about... Many conversations that I had with designers or panel, I've been really surprised by all these kind of first conversations that we had at the beginning of the pandemic where everybody was like, oh, come on, the world's going to completely change. We need to rethink schedule. We need to rethink this. We need to rethink that. At the end of the day, we'll just go back to a normal. <laughs> so let's be honest. But uh, I don't think we're going to go back to a normal normal because what I have seen during my fashion shows, how fashion is start to enjoy so much more the fashion industry start to really enjoy so much more their work than before. Yeah. Because what was feeling really banal, like taking flights, uh, having too many fashion shows. I mean, I could see the press and the entire industry being so happy to see finally fashion shows again and enjoying, you know, and just being like, we are so lucky to work in this world, this beauty world, actually. It is also that sense of community, like you said, the whole idea of being able to come together. Yeah with other people that love fashion, see designers who love what they do. It's very rare that I meet a fashion designer that doesn't love fashion and enjoy it and want to be part of it. I think there was a very nice mental reset for everybody mm -hmm. of, yeah, we love this. And, you, you know, when it's taken away, we realize how much we miss this community of people that all love fashion and get to enjoy it and that we can all come together and kind of experience something yeah yeah it's exactly that it's the togetherness that uh, i think we we need and in a weird way before the pandemic we forget mm -hmm. so i think all of that together makes a really brightest future for fashion and for and for all what we're gonna do
in that conversation, you touched on the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm -hmm. And I would feel kind of remiss if we didn't kind of talk about the fact that you were the first black creative director of a French couture house and that you remain one of the very few people of colour who've risen to become a creative director in the industry. Do you see yourself as a figurehead and do you kind of feel a responsibility in that sort of position? Uh, yes, <laughs> absolutely. I think when I started Barman, I didn't see myself as a leader or bringing an entire generation with me because I would never know if people would like my work and will like actually me, you know. But after seeing my community growing and growing, I was like, so now I can start to, to feel free to express myself. Because, you know, if I didn't get, again, the social media, the crowd, and it might sound cheesy because it, it might just be a number on your phone, you know, but it's not for me only a number. It's just about to create a, an entire crowd that's following you. So at that point, I really understand that my message could be really strong and really big and that people could follow me in that moment. And of course, I could start to talk about racism when at the time, not many people were talking about. Of course, I wanted to talk about diversity because it's one of my most important topic. And yes, it was time for me to talk about my color. But the problem is that at the time when I started BAM and I wanted to, but maybe the fashion industry was not ready for that. Because when you start to talk about my own skin color, the fashion industry needs to start to talk about the lack of colors in the fashion industry. Yeah. So the problem is that that was my first fight and struggle in fashion to talk about it. Not because I didn't want to, I wanted to, but I didn't have the crowd in the fashion industry to talk about it. Mm -hmm. In a weird way, the crowd that was ready to talk about it was my social media crowd, mm -hmm. which this helped me a lot to start to have a voice on it. But it's been years that I was fighting for that. And after when people start to talk about my casting that was so diverse, I always say something that might sound stupid when I say that, but instead of asking me why my casting is diverse, go to the others and say, why your casting is not so diverse? I know it's more complicated, but I think sometimes journalists who have the balls to go and say, or reviewers go and say to the designer, why your casting is not so diverse, mm -hmm. you know? Because I think it's so easy to go to me and say, why your casting is diverse? I mean, why? I mean, it's just normal. Yeah. So don't make me feel not normal. Yeah. Just make me feel normal and go to someone that thinks it's normal to not have a diverse casting, feel not normal. And what I don't like about me sometimes and the vision that people has on me is that they see me as a rebel mm -hmm. or someone that's controversial. Well, I just did nothing controversial except just being myself and, as you say, democratize fashion. What it is about being controversial? Open the doors, it's controversial? No, I don't think so. And being the first French black designer, yeah, of course, it's it's a huge uh, responsibility because, because I can see I'm a voice of a new generation and with my youth at the time, I didn't want to do anything wrong, mistakes, yeah. you know? And it's so scary when you have seven millions of followers, you know, to not get wrong, you know? So I take it really seriously. But I think now with the fashion world is really more open. Still, there are a lot of battles, but I still is more open. So yeah, I will keep fighting for my own battles. But now we're starting to have other black designers in the fashion industry. And I cannot thank Virgil enough to, to be in Paris because... Um, I know that in America, it was it always been a big topic, the diversity. Mm -hmm. But in France, there was a lot of reticence, like a mm -hmm. lot of lack of diversity when French didn't want to talk about it. So I think when Virgin arrived in Paris, like some French crowd start to remember they have as well have a French black designer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and so the topic start to, to become louder 
But at the end of the day, before that, I remember like French didn't want to talk about it. I think it's interesting, actually, what you're saying about the industry as a whole, because I think people are now asking those questions. And it took a long time for people to ask those questions. But, you know, journalists are now asking people, commenting, mentioning in reviews, if the cast of a fashion show or a fashion film isn't diverse enough. You know, if it is dominated by white models, if it is only white models, it is something that is mentioned. And not only is it mentioned, I think people feel they cannot not mention it, which is a good thing. It's it's becoming part of a conversation, which also means that we're hopefully not going to go backwards. I feel like it's something that people are now engaging with more and more, asking more and more questions about and making sure that fashion does reflect reality. Yes and no. We need to be careful with that, I think, because we cannot go to an extreme neither. Mm -hmm. Because the problem of the society today is that there are many people as well that pretend to be part of this conversation, and they are not. And sometimes the danger of those people faking it can become reversible. It needs to matter. It, it, it does matter. Yeah. I don't know how to say, like, it needs to feel real to people. But it's also part of the conversation as opposed to the whole conversation, especially in fashion. You've got to talk about, you've got to talk about the clothes. You've got to talk about all, you know, it's, it's, but I like that it's now become a topic that people are discussing yeah. because for so long it was just brushed under the carpet. And if people felt uncomfortable about it, like you said, no one would talk about it. Whereas now I think it's out in the open. I'm hoping it's moving the industry in a better direction. I think, Alex, it will. But let's make sure that those people that put some black squares in their feed on social media for Black Lives Matter, they mean it. Yeah. Because there's nothing worse than people that pretend and when they close their doors, don't believe in it. Yeah. You know? yeah. So this is what I'm trying to say because what I don't like right now is so many people trying to pretend when 10 years ago, I can tell you that those people, when I, when I wanted to have the same topic that I'm having right now, looked at me and said, oh, come on. Why, we, why should we talk about it? Some people told me that. And today they are the first to be on the front row of saying, you know, like, and that just, just like, people can change and that makes me happy. Mm-hmm. But I really hope they changed because yeah. there's nothing worse than someone that pretends to have changed when they didn't. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk about something slightly different. I just guess we were talking about the future and I want to talk a little bit about the past mm-hmm. because last year you launched the podcast series L'Atelier Balmain um, and also a YouTube series exploring Balmain's history and heritage. Why is that important to you? Those kind of communication methods to talk about the history of Balmain and what opportunities do you see for other luxury houses to kind of amplify their brand through these platforms? Uh, it's again what you asked me before. I think the, the values and the timelessness, it's important. But for that, you need to remind people that Bauman didn't start in 2011 when I started because of my collab with H&M or because I dressed Kim or Rihanna. Bauman had a past. And I wouldn't do that at the time, even if I always been obsessed with the past of the house, because... I think it was first important to connect with my own generation, with my pop culture, with my culture, making the name more global and the awareness of the house enough to at one point step back and say, okay, guys, you know me through the concert of Beyonce, you know me through my campaigns, uh, my social media, but let's remind you something. Mm-hmm. Bauman started in 1945, 77 years of history. We dressed Josephine Baker, Brigitte Bardot, Dalida, Adria Byrne, so many incredible women. And I want to remind people that sometimes 
what you think it's new is not new. What I do today with with the house, Monsieur Pierre Barman did it before, obviously. Mm-hmm. But for that, I needed a decade, more or more or less, to feel really established, to have a strong DNA, my own DNA as well now, and say, guys, let's go back to the past now. Mm-hmm. Uh, now having a new generation that's going to be ready to listen to me. And I think it's so exciting for people to know the history behind the house and, you know, 77 years of, of history right now. Yeah. Well, also that Couture show on the Seine was amazing because it was, you know, again, kind of, there was a kind of boldness to it. This idea of actually taking pieces from the archive, recontextualizing them, not only on new models, but on TikTok. Yeah. It's like, okay... And, you know, who's ever heard of Eric Mortensen on TikTok? You know, I, I, I knew it because I'm a fashion geek. But, you know, I like the idea of his opening this house up to a new generation. His opening this heritage up to an entirely new audience. Not a new generation, necessarily, but a totally new audience. Just people that would never have engaged with it. You know, it's like kind of opening a history book for them, but in a really engaging, interactive way. And the same with the podcasts and the YouTube films. It's like, how can we bring this history alive and make it feel relevant? Completely. I think it's more the tools that you're using than the history that you're saying, because I think the history is interesting, but it's true that maybe the audience that I'm talking to will not ever maybe open a book of 500 pages uh, reading the story of the house. It's For me, it's a modern way to explain the story, like what we are doing now with the podcast. I think it's really exciting. After as well, what I think was exciting to me is when you talk about uh, this boat, it's the idea of bringing an entire history of couture that today I was a leader, being a French black designer. And I can tell you those dresses that has been done maybe 1950 or 60, would never been as as a leader, a black designer at mm-hmm. the time. So I think it was interesting for me to rebuild the story and rebuild the history of the house to make sure that in 50 years, people will see the history of the house differently than what I have seen when I was younger. I'm just playing with the past to rebuild the history. Olivier, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts for this Shaping Insights podcast. It was fantastic to hear your take on the future of the luxury fashion industry, and it has been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this Shaping Insights podcast presented by American Express. Don't do business without it.